with us. It's a while since we've seen Sheila and Sarah. Sarah's been away over the, va the vacation over the summer, and it's always good to see Sarah back, and we, we appreciate both those folks being here. Now, as Duduzi says, we're going to start a special subject for the next four Sunday mornings. Normally on a Sunday morning, our Bible teaching is what they call expositional which means we take a book and then we go through it chapter by chapter and verse by verse and get what the Bible says in its context. Well, the next few weeks are going to be what we call topical. We're going to take a subject and we're going to try and look through the Bible and just find out what the Bible says about the topic. And the topic for the next four Sunday mornings is the local church. The local church. We have, it would be no secret to us all, We've had over the last year, folks, some little disappointments here in the church, but in generally we've had great encouragements here in the church. And we want to go right back to kind of foundational, fundamental principles about what is a local church? Is it important to be part of a local church? What's the function of a local church? Who participates in the activities of the local church? And how is the local church governed? And so we're going to read some verses of the scripture this morning before we, before we say anything else. <clears throat> but only to say to you folks that having been in a local church membership, the fellowship of a local assembly all my life, I am more convinced than ever now of the importance of the local church. I'm more convinced that it's God's model, God's vehicle, God's way of blessing individuals and blessing communities, a, a strong and vital local church. And so we want to look at the Bible and see how that is outlined in the Bible. So we're going to go right back to the very beginning of the Bible. We're going to read our first verse is going to be in Genesis in chapter 2. And if you do have a Bible, please follow along with me. If you don't have a Bible, I'm going to read as clearly as I possibly can. But one of the reasons we encourage you to read yourself in the Bible is so that you can check that the preacher's not taking a verse out of context and making it say something that it shouldn't say. And when we come to First Genesis chapter 2, we're in what we call the seed plot of the Bible. There's lots of truths in Genesis that are given to us in seed form that God develops in the rest of the Bible. And the, the, the one I want to show you here is in verse number 18. It says this, this is the Lord talking about creation and he's putting everything in its place and we're in perfection here. We're in perfection here, okay? So there's no fall, there's no sin, there's no, um, there's no corruption, there's no disease. We're in the Garden of Eden in perfection. And this is what it says. Verse 18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. And we'll develop that in a little bit. The reason I'm reading that in relation to the local church is that human beings were not created to be loners, okay? God designed humanity to be a relational type of existence. And we'll see in a minute, it's relationship with God relationship in the family, relationship as a nation in Israel, and now in this time, relationship in the church. It's not good for a man or a woman to live alone, to be a loner. To, and the local church is God's way of bringing us all together and fulfilling this seed promise in, in Genesis chapter 2. A little further on in your Old Testament, go to Psalm number 50. 
I'm just reading some Old Testament verses to explain principles because the New Testament local church is a New Testament concept. But I just want to show you that it's not like a second thought or a, a plan B. It's just a, a, it's just the development of God's continual um, uh, idea. So in Genesis, he says it's not good that man should be alone. Look at verse five of Genesis of uh, Psalm fifty. Gather my saints together unto me those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice now let's define the word saint a saint does not mean somebody that's been dead for a hundred years that you can prove he's done some miracles and that some church organization sticks a name on them and there's a ceremony to make a saint the word saint just means someone that god has set apart for himself and so every Christian, by definition, is a saint, a set-apart one for God. And Sam says this, gather my saints together. God's instruction is that the people that he has set apart for himself should be the ones that gather themselves together. Now that's not a, that's not a request, it's actually a command. He's saying, listen, if you belong to me, you should be gathering, gathering together. Let's continue to read. Let's go into Acts chapter 2. These are, I know these will be familiar verses to many of you folks, but it does us no harm to go back and go over this ground to help us remind ourselves or maybe acquaint ourselves afresh with these truths. Look at Acts chapter 2, 41 and 42. This is the birth of the church. And we'll see how the word church is used in a little way, in two different ways. But whatever you think about as the church, the church universal or the church local, this is the birthday. This is the beginning of the church. And this is how it starts. Look what it says in verse 41. Then those who received his word were baptised. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Imagine 3,000 people getting saved in one day. That would, be a, that would be a handful, wouldn't it? How would you look after that? But that's what happened. And it says this of them all. And they continued steadfastly. Now, now, we will look at these verses in more detail later on. But continued steadfastly means two things. It means they stuck like glue. They stuck like glue. And the other idea behind continued steadfastly is they went on all the time. It wasn't, it wasn't a kind of flash in the pan, right? It wasn't a kind of novelty thing. It wasn't a, let's try this out for a wee while and see what happens. They continued, they stuck themselves to it, and they went on and on and on. This was them choosing a new type of life altogether. It was something that was revolutionary. Look what it says. They continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine, now, our equivalent of Apostles' Doctrine now is the teaching of the New Testament. Isn't that right? That's the Apostles' Doctrine. And in fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. Now, look at those four things <coughs> that <coughs> characterised early Christians. Apostles' Doctrine, Bible teaching. Fellowship means they came together. Breaking of bread, actually it could mean two things, right? It could mean the breaking of bread. And that's true, as we read through the Acts of the Apostles, it'll be something that'll characterise 
The breaking of bread, what other people call communion, is actually a local church function. You'll see that as you go through the Bible. And in prayers. So you could take that verse and say, there's at least four things a local church should do. They should hear Bible teaching, they should get together, they should break bread, and they should pray. So, I mean, it's a quite obvious, isn't it, model to follow. And they continued steadfastly. Go to Hebrews chapter 20, uh, 10. Forgive me, I want to do some Bible readings over the whole Bible so that we understand this is not a, a, a single verse concept that we're making something of. Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to read verse four, 24 and 25. It says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, number one, as the manner of some is. In other words, some people will say, I don't need a local church. That's what some people will say, and they'll say, it's not important to be a member of a local church. The Bible says this, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. In other words, people that say that are not in accordance with the word of God. And look what it says. But exhorting one another, that means encouraging, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So what is the day? What's the day that's approaching? The day of the coming of the Lord. Right, okay. Now whether you see that as the coming for the saints or coming with the saints, we're not going to argue too much about your eschatology. But what the, the guy saying, what the apostle's saying is this, the nearer you get to the coming of the Lord, the more important it is that you should gather together. Do you see that? you see that? Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, local church fellowship and a local church together, the, the importance of that gets greater and greater as time gets on rather than, rather than less and less as time gets on. So that's why we're taking some time right now to, for four weeks, go through how important it is that the local church is part of your life. Well, we'll see if it's actually more than part of your life as we go through that, but you know what I mean by that. And how the Bible helps us understand what a local church is and how a local church should function. We're not left to make it up as we go along. Now, in different parts of the world and in different even places in the country, there'll be different styles of how people gather, right? If you were in Malawi last week with me, you would have seen the gathering was quite a different style, for example. Women sit on one side and men sit on the other side. And you might throw your hands up and say, that's horrendously old fashioned. Well, that's what they do in Malawi. Right, okay. So, and some people, the style of the gathering might be difficult. Some people might have a musical instrument to help the singing. And some might not have a musical instrument to help the singing. The style of the gathering might differ. But the principles don't change. The principles don't change. So what we're going to talk about in the next four weeks is not style. We're not going to say how the British do it or how the Africans do it or how the Irish do it. We're going to say how the Bible says we should do it. And then in our context here in Bensham, we work those principles out because the whole Bible is not to us, if you know what I mean. Paul, when he was writing to Corinth, was writing to Corinth. But the whole Bible's for us and the whole Bible's about us. 
So we're going to take time and we're going to do that. Last verse from the the reading is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And this is going to tie in quite nicely with our current studies in 1 Corinthians. Um, Because 1 Corinthians is one of the books that's really useful when you're trying to figure out uh, how a local church should function. Matter of fact, there's two kind of big areas of your Bible that'll help us in this. If you want to do some background reading, if you want to do some homework, you should be reading the Acts of the Apostles and First and Second Corinthians because they are the two books that really focus on local church and how it should function. But well, let's read just the introduction. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth. Here's here's the composition of them. To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. There we're back again to the saints idea from Psalm 50. With all that in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, your both theirs and ours. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And we were talking a couple of weeks ago about, you know, all that in every place. And we said every time, didn't we? Deruzzi was helpful with that, uh, that call upon the name of the Lord both years and ours. In other words, what I'm about to tell you is as applicable in the 21st century as it was in the 1st century. God's principles never change. So, let's leave the reading there. Take a few minutes and just lay some foundations foundations. When I was uh, living in North Shield, they told us they were building new houses next to us, uh, quite close to us, and it was round where I used to walk the dog in the morning, and when I was walking the dog in the morning, they built, you know, they, they put up these um, boards to, to shield the building site, and being a kind of nosy character, I always looked through the, the gap in the boards to see how they were getting on, and it seemed to take weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks before anything appeared. And so being really nosy, I spoke to the, the, one of the builders and I said, well, you've been working here for weeks and I don't see anything happen. And he was telling me about mine workings in the area and how unstable the ground was and how it was important if they were going to build good houses, they had to spend a lot of time putting down good what, foundations. Because if the foundations weren't solid, what would happen? The house would collapse. That's equally true when it comes to building a local church. And I don't mean the building of the local church. A local church must be built on solid, firm, biblical foundations. And so we're going to take today, first session, to lay down some of those really, really important foundations about what a local church should be. First of all, I have to ask you a very personal question. And it's this. What is the most important thing in your life? As a Christian, above all things, what is the most important thing in your life? Because local churches are formed, composed and built on people whose lives are totally devoted to pleasing the Lord. Because when we go back to the Acts of the Apostles, it's not like today. In the Acts of the Apostles, if you were going to become a Christian, if you were going to get baptised... If you were going to tell people, I'm a Christian, do you know what you were doing? You were putting your life in danger. That's what you were doing. Very often you were turning your back on your whole lifestyle. Maybe a, a Jew was turning his back and even his family. Now, I'm not saying you have to be turn your back on your family to be part of a local church. I, I don't mean that. But in those days, to become a Christian was an enormous cost. 
an enormous cost. And that's why the Lord Jesus said, he says, if any man will come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow him. Deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And he says, they that don't hate their father and mother and all these things cannot be my disciple. The Lord was saying, if you're going to follow me, the first thing you've got to do is count the cost. In other words, you've got to embark on a life of total devotion to me. So, so I just have to ask me, and I have to ask you, when we're coming to think about the local church, what is the most important thing in your life? What is the most important thing in a local church? Let, let me read you some verses. First Thessalonians 4. Furthermore, we then beseech you, brothers, and exhort you by the love of Jesus, that as ye have received of us how you walk, you should please God, and you should do this more and more. Right? You see, you see what he's saying to them? He's saying, listen, you're choosing here to live your old life and now to live a life that pleases God. Listen to this. Second Timothy chapter number two. No man that warreth, because to be a Christian in those days meant that you were stepping into the front line. It was like a soldier battling. He says this. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Why? That he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Listen to this one. Peter says this. You should no longer live the rest of your time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but you should live your life to the will of God. So a local church was composed of people who had made that personal decision, right? They that received his word were baptised because to be baptised was putting your head above the parapet and saying to the world, I now belong to Christ. And you Now that's not true these days. The world and his wife says they're a Christian, don't they? I was, I was watching some cricket and there was a women's team that won the cricket yesterday and the, the woman that was the big, big um, star, I looked at her Instagram and she professes to be a Christian, right? But her lifestyle is quite contrary to what the Bible teaches and I don't mean in a subtle way, in a very obvious way. So you can be a Christian and a, a Christian and a, a Christian and a, a Christian and a. And in the New Testament, you couldn't be a Christian and a, you just were a Christian. And that defined your life. So my first little foundation I have to lay is this, that a local church is composed not of just people who are interested or curious or attenders. A local church is composed of people whose lives are totally devoted, devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's got to start personally. It's a personal thing. Because those who don't have a personal walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ are not material for a local church. Matter of fact, can't compose part of the local church by definition. They can attend services and things like that. But a local church is those people who are personally devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. So a local church starts with individuals whose lives are right before God and who are walking with the Lord. Now, I don't mean we're perfect. None of us are perfect. I don't mean we look at each other and try and find faults. I don't mean that. But at least your heart is set in the right direction. Isn't that right? We know we're not perfect. We know we fail. But our heart is set in the direction to please the Lord. So when we come together as a local church, we don't argue about what pleases you and pleases or pleases me. And we don't argue about what suits you or what suits me. We look in the Bible and says, what pleases the Lord? Because if we're all on that same page, when we discover what pleases the Lord, we'll all do it without a problem, won't we? Won't we? 
And that would remove a lot of the difficulties. Second, second foundation I want to leave with you is this. A principle. If we're going to study the local church, we've got to believe that the Bible is authoritative. What do I mean by that? I mean that when God speaks through his word, we take that as the final word on the matter. That God's word overrides everything else. That Bible is authoritative because it's inspired and given by God. Now, if we're all going to argue about styles and, and things and your preference is the same as as good as my preference, you know, we're going to end up in all sorts of confusion. But if we can go back to the Bible and you believe that the Bible's the same as what I believe, that it's authoritative, that it's got the final word, when God speaks in his word, do you know what we do? We just say yes, Lord. Isn't that right? We don't argue, we say yes. Second thing I want to say is this. The personal question, are you devoted to the Lord? The principal question, do you believe the Bible is authoritative? Is that the first and final answer? The other thing is, the Bible is sufficient. Sufficient. In other words, it's all that we need. Now we'll see God by his spirit, and God uses shepherds in the local church, but what I mean is this, is that in the 21st century, we don't need to reinterpret the Bible in the light of our culture. The Bible is sufficient for the 21st century. The issue is not the 21st church, 21st century church. The issue is how do we take first century principles and apply them in the 21st century? How can we be a New Testament church in the 21st century? Well, the only way we can be that is if we believe the Bible is authoritative and the Bible is sufficient. So there's, there's my kind of foundations, folks, okay? If we don't agree on the Bible being authoritative and sufficient and we're not devoted to pleasing the Lord, we're going to have some difficulty in the weeks ahead because that's where I'm starting. Okay, let's go back to Genesis 2. Genesis 2 is the seed plot of the Bible. There's lots of things that God puts in Genesis that finally are developed in other parts of the Bible. And this is the one I wanted to pick out this morning. It is not good that man should be alone. Now, we know what that was in conjunction with, don't we? That was in relation to marriage in um, uh, uh, Genesis chapter 2. But I think it's actually the principle's bigger than that. Because human beings were made, how? In the image of God. Right? In the image of God. And one of the great characteristics of God, deity, is what? The, the Godhead. Isn't that right? Father, Son and Holy Spirit and Father, Son and Holy Spirit live in perfect relationship and communion with each other. Isn't that right? No disharmony, no dysfunction, no dispute. That The Father, Son and Holy Spirit are relationally perfect and God's made human beings relationally in his image. In other words, we're made to be in relationship. That's the way we're made. Humanity, humans are made to be in relationship. So the first thing is, we were created for a relationship with God. Isn't that right? So when we get to Genesis 3, that's where it all goes wrong, isn't it? And that relationship with God is destroyed through sin, and praise God, that relationship with our creator God is restored in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know the Lord, don't we? That ye might know God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. But Genesis 2 was made, were made for fellowship with God. But the Genesis 2 is teaching that we were made 
to have fellowship in families. Isn't that right? The family unit is a very, very important part of God's structure for, for society. And so you can read all through um, the New Testament. Think, I was thinking about Acts 10. This, you know, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And what does he say to him after that? And your, and your house. And your house. Why? Because we want the whole family to be together. Would you think it a strange thing if one of the major focuses of the devil's activity today is to destroy families? Why? Because that was the way God intended us to live. Marriages break up and families break up because that's what God intended. So God intended us to be in relationship with him. God intended us to be in relationship with families. And it's, it's really interesting because the Bible says that those who come from broken families can actually find a restoration in God of something that's even greater than being in a natural family. And a lot of the people I deal with these days, if you talk to them about their family, it would be nothing but heartbreak and brokenness and sadness. But when you come to know Christ... All that brokenness and sadness can be more than made up for and restored in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that really, the devil's work to destroy families can not only be restored, but it can be reversed when you come to become a Christian. He sets the solitary, what does the Bible say? In families. In families. Now, I don't mean I don't come from a close family. I do come from a close family. But there's brothers and sisters in the Lord that would actually be probably closer to me than my natural brothers. There would. So God sets us, it's not good for us to be alone. and um, uh, we, we, So we need to be restored to God, a family. Remember Cornelius. Cornelius, when Peter came to preach to Cornelius, bring the gospel. Do you know what he did? He brought his family in. And he says, look folks, if I'm going to get blessed, you know what I want to be? I want my family to be blessed as well. And we all feel that, don't we? We've all got family that we would love to bring in to the fold. But let, let's keep going. Not only did God create us to be involved in communion with himself, communion with husband and wife, communion in families, God created in the Old Testament a nation. Didn't he? Didn't he? What's the whole of the Old Testament about? It's the history of the children of Israel. And a nation is what an extension of the family. Wasn't that right? The 12 tribes then became a whole nation. And who did God have in the Old Testament? Who were God's chosen people? The nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel had a pattern for worship and a pattern for living and a pattern for gathering. And, and God says, listen, I've got a nation and I want you to gather together. How many times in the year had, had the people of Israel to go up to Jerusalem? Three times. Every one of them had to make a trip up to Jerusalem three times a year at a certain feast. Because, why? Because God's glad of individuals that are devoted to him. But there's something special when God's people gets together to, to worship him and serve him. And so right up, God wanted a, a relationship with himself. God wanted a relationship in a family. God wanted a relationship in a nation. But when Christ came, what did the Jewish nation do? He came unto his own. And his own received him not. All through the Acts of the Apostles, when the gospel preachers went out, where was the first place they went to preach? Eh? They went to the temple or the synagogue. Because they were God's people. And time and time again, what happened? God's people said, 
No thank you, we don't want anything to do with you. So Peter says in the end, okay, or Paul says in the end, you know what? I'm leaving you alone and I'm going to the Gentiles. And now, for 2,000 years, God's purpose for togetherness, God's purpose for not being alone is this, to be gathered in a local church. And in a local church, God has no distinction. There's no distinction. Look at me and him. Are we the same? Different backgrounds, we look different, but I'll tell you, nobody could be closer than this brother to me. Right? Because all the differences that are between me and him have gone. Why? They've gone because of Christ. Isn't that right? And dear Norma, eh? What her life was like before the Lord saved her, we had known nothing about that. But now we're one together in the Lord Jesus, and every one of us are like that. And God just, God puts away all that stuff that the world makes differences of. God says, see in a local church, it's all gone. It's all gone. There's neither bond nor free, Jew, Gentile, male nor female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And in a local church, the world sees something that they cannot manufacture and they cannot reproduce. You know, the bowling club can't reproduce what's in a local church. It can't. Slimming world might help you lose a few pounds, but you know what? It can't reproduce what's in a local church. Isn't that right? Your walking club. You might see the wonders of nature and have a nice lunch with somebody, but it's not the same as being in a local church, is it? Now, we'll also discover as we go through the next few weeks that while there's no distinctions in a local church, there's a very definite order in the local church, right? It's not everybody does everything or anybody can do anything. God says, okay, in a family, dad is dad, mum's mum, children's children, right? In the nation... The king was the king, the priests were the priests, the prophet were the prophets, the shepherds were the shepherds, and everybody had their own job to do. And the local church is exactly the same. That while there's no distinction between us being in the body of Christ, there's definite function and order in a local church. God says, this is the way it should go on. So, fellowship as a nation, fellowship, and, and there's lots of pictures in the New Testament about that. Think about two. A body. A body. Isn't that right? Now, I was, I nearly said I was working yesterday, but maybe other people would take a, a bit of exception to that. I, I, I kind of made a, a, a small contribution to whatever was happening, right? But I've got muscles that are telling me I, I, I did too much and it's affecting the whole of the rest of my body, isn't it? Because as one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers, doesn't it? And we're going to see, particularly in 1 Corinthians, that one of the pictures of the local church is it functions as a, a body. A body. What would happen this morning if your left leg decided it wasn't going to get up, it was going to stay in bed? How would you have got here? You would never have got here, would you? Or maybe your brain's decided to shut off while Jim's preaching. Right, okay, the rest of you doesn't benefit. The whole body functions together. And that's one of the really important pictures of a local church in the New Testament, the picture of a body. Here's the other one. picture of the church universal is not just a body. Do you know what it is? It's a bride. It's a bride. A bride. Now, whatever people failed in the Bible, and people did fail in the Bible, and God is gracious in the Bible, God's priority, God's pattern is monogamy, isn't it? You know, you don't turn up or maybe in some cultures they do. But Christian cultures don't turn up with a bridegroom at the front and five wives in front of them. 
either to pick, take a pick or you know to have them all. No. So the bride is the single body of Christ. Single body of Christ. So having said those foundations, let me just finish with two minutes about the different uses of the word church in the Bible. Okay? When you read the word church in the Bible, it doesn't always mean the same thing. Let me explain. Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. The word church in the Bible never refers to a building. Never does refer to it. Now, I know we, we use it as convenience, don't we? We use it as convenience. We say, come to the, our church up, up the road, and that helps people understand about the building because in society, people think about the church as the building, don't they? But in the Bible, the word church is never used to refer to a building. There is words that are used to refer to buildings. There's synagogues and there's temples. But the word church does never mean that. It means a group of people. That's what it means. And I'm not going to, not because I don't want to bore you, but because I'm very limited in my knowledge. The Greek word for church is a composition of two words. It means called out. Called out. People that have been called out. So, if we were worried yesterday, uh, I don't think about these things, but other people think about them, but we had a big pile of brushwood at the side of the hall yesterday and somebody said, you need to get rid of that or the kids will set it on fire. And, you know, it was was dear sister um, Maureen that said it, and she was absolutely right, because it could be quite easily kids would come and set it on fire. And if the kids had set it on fire and the hall had burned down, if we'd come this morning and the hall had been burned down, is the church in Bensham being destroyed? No. The building's been destroyed. But we, as those who are in the fellowship, we're the church, isn't that right? Because the church means a gathered out company of people. And that's true in the New Testament. Look, it's not always used to Christians. It was sometimes used a gatherings to, to make a ruling. A church, a gathering, a called out company in Ephesus, for example. But what I'm going to say and finish is this. There's two ways in which the word church is used. One is in a universal sense. And secondly, in a local sense. So there's a church, the way the Bible uses the word church, it means every Christian from Acts 2 until the Lord's coming, right? Let me show you this. Jesus said in Matthew 16, There, Peter, on this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What was he talking about? He was talking about all those that would be saved in the day ahead, wasn't he? He's talking about the day every Christian will come as part of that universal body. Whatever country you're in, whatever background you come from, whatever gathering you gather with, whatever practice you put into practice, every Christian is a member of the church universal, the body of Christ. Listen to this. Ephesians 1.22. Ephesians really is the, and Colossians is the two books that will help you with this one. And he has put all things under his feet, and has given Christ to be head over all things to the church. So Christ is the head in heaven, and every Christian on earth is part of his church, his universal church. Listen to this. Unto him be glory in the church, world without end. 
For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Listen to this. Acts 2. Praising God and having favour with all the people, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So we pray that in Bensham people will be saved today and added to the church. But we don't mean Bensham Gospel Hall. We mean the church which is his body. And there'll be people saved in Afghanistan and China and India and Zimbabwe and Malawi and South America and America. There'll be people saved today and added to the church, which is his body. And we are one with every child of God, wherever they are. Isn't that right? When we meet a Christian, wherever they've come from, whatever their background is, we embrace them as those that are members of the same church. Isn't that right? We love to do it. I hope we love to do it. Just meeting a Christian in a coffee shop, seeing them bow their head and give thanks to the Lord for their food. What do you do? I don't know. I tell you what I do. My heart just goes to them and I go out and talk to them. Why? And I don't ask them, where, where did they go on Sunday morning? And I don't ask them, you know, what the name of their pastor is. I just know that they love the Lord. However, in the Bible, it's very clear that the, the word church is used in a completely different way. Let me read some of them to you. Acts 5. You know the story of Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira, who told lies to, to the Holy Spirit and they both died? Listen to what it says. And of the rest of them, no man dared join himself to them. What does he mean? Local Christians. But the people magnified them. And the people were added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women. There was a group of Christians and God, and God worked in them. And people said, we don't want to have anything to do with them. That wee group of Christians we're going to keep away from. Listen to this. Remember Saul of Tarsus? He was consenting to the death and at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. So what he's doing now, he's saying, is that there's actually a wee local place that's a manifestation of that whole body. There's a local aspect of the universal church. Listen to this. These tidings came to the ears of the church which were at Jerusalem. Do you know the churches of ears? Did you know that? There was a local company and the local company heard. Not every Christian heard it, but the local church heard it. And then you go down and you go down and you go down. There's tons and tons of them. And there's actually verses in which the local church and the universal church appear in the same verse. Okay, so let me see if I can, I can find them. Here in Colossians. Who rejoice in sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, universal. Salute the brethren in Laodicea and Emphasis and the church which is in his house. In other words, there's the local church and then there's an identifiable local church. So to the church which is at Corinth, to the church which is at Ephesus, to the church which is at Laodicea. The seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, letters to identifiable geographical people that could be identified as a local church. So this whole nonsense that we hear for people that there's no such, there's a universal church and there's not really a local manifestation of it, is totally contrary to what the Bible says. The Bible says there should be local churches. So our question, having discovered that now, is how should we function? What should we do? How do we know how to meet? How do we know how to govern ourselves? 
How do we know how to reach out? It's authoritative and it's sufficient. So for the next three weeks, we're going to look in kind of detail about how, how it's composed, how it functions, and how it's controlled. So we trust that will be a help as we begin this one. Let's pray. Lord, we are slow. We confess that to thee. And sometimes familiarity breeds uh, a carelessness in our thoughts. And we do pray as over these days we think about local church. It may be a great blessing for thee. And it may be a blessing to us that we would establish in this little locality a, a local church, an assembly that pleases thee. And we just pray that they would bless us. Remember us for the rest of the day as we give thanks now in the Lord's name. Amen. Thanks, folks. Sorry for taking too much time. I should wear a badge that says that, shouldn't I, really?